Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries, speaking to you from Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's right. You're doing a bit of traveling. We're, have, we're actually both going to be traveling, and so you're, you're in Kalamazoo, and you're headed to where? I'm headed home today, back to Nashville, and then tomorrow morning heading up to Marshall, Illinois, where I'm going to be preaching at Zion United Methodist Church and teaching their Sunday school class about covenant discipleship groups. Ah, very cool. And I'm, I'm headed out of the country. I'm headed to uh, Korea and Mongolia, leaving tomorrow morning. So, so we're recording this uh, for the first time somewhat remote, so this will be a new experience for us. I think it'll be fun. So uh, I had the opportunity a couple of days ago to interview Kevin Watson. Kevin Watson is a United Methodist pastor, a historian, and he teaches at Candler School of Theology. Kevin has written several books, including The Class Meeting, which will be the focus of our interview. He's also written A Blueprint for Discipleship, Pursuing Holiness. And he, along with Scott Kisker, have just come out with a book called The Band Meeting. So with that introduction, we'll, let's roll right into the interview. So Kevin, I'm so excited for you to join us today. I appreciate all the work that you've done, both in teaching and in writing. Um, you've written a number of books. Today we're going to focus on the class meeting, which I, I know from a number of my networks that this has been a very helpful book for their churches. So, so thank you for joining us. Um, one of the things you, you mentioned right at the beginning of the book is that you see a resurgence for people to want to be part of a class meeting today. Can you, can you say more about why you think there's a, a desire for people to be part of a class meeting today? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's great to get to connect in this way, and I appreciate the, the encouragement from kind of you know, what you've seen. I think the main reason there's a resurgence is, um, you know, there, the, that this was the heart of, of kind of Methodism from the beginning, uh, this basic kind of structure that connected every person to at least a handful of other people so that nobody was lost in the, in the beginnings of, of Methodism. You know, to be a Methodist, you had to be in a class meeting, right. um, not just in the beginnings of Methodism as a renewal movement within the Church of England in Wesley's day, but in uh, American Methodism, when Methodism actually became a church formally, that part of uh, the, the membership in the church was the basic membership requirement was actually attending a weekly class meeting. Uh, and if you didn't attend your class meeting regularly, you were actually removed from the church. You were taken wow. off the membership roles. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, that's, that's probably not super likely to, to be popular today. But, <laughs> no, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the resurgence uh, of, of that kind of approach is that people are desperate to connect with one another. They're desperate yeah. for community. Um, they, you know, folks want to be known. Um, they want to to kind of take steps into authenticity. And I think at a at a at a kind of pretty deep level, a lot of Christians are, I think, kind of treading water in their faith because mm-hmm. they don't they have not experienced relationally that they can be fully known and fully loved. And that's really at the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that when when folks kind of actually step into this kind of community, 
um, they start to experience those kinds of truths in ways that they're experiential, not just mm -hmm. head knowledge, but they're actually living into sort of the deep promises and truths of the gospel. Yeah, and I think that's definitely one of the, the first things that hit me about your book when I read it a couple years ago was uh, that you make a great case, and I, and I think you're 100% on target, that curriculum has become a crutch. And I've seen that in the churches that I've been a part of as well. And so that was very helpful to me. Uh, what, so what's been some of the reaction that you've experienced to the book? And, and has anything surprised you as a reaction to the book? Um, I mean, I, I've been, I think I would say the biggest surprise is that the reaction has been so positive. Um, I mean, there, I'm sure there have been critiques and stuff, but most people are gracious enough probably to, to share those with each other and <laughs> not with me. But, <laughs> but I, I, I had a, I had a kind of, um, you know, I had a, I had a feeling, I had a, a, a I had a, I felt a sense of calling to write this mm -hmm. book um, at the end of the 2012 general conference. Um, and I, I had this kind of like, uh, you know, vision for starting a, a renewal of the class meeting. I had been thinking about it for years. Okay. And I, I remember thinking like, it's just time to write a book that is just called the class meeting and just gets back to, you know, kind of representing uh, and, you know, what this is and how you could actually go about retrieving this as, as a practice. Uh, and I remember thinking that uh, I, I just felt a lot of discouragement after the, the 2012 mm. general conference. I didn't, I didn't go to it. I just okay. was following it online. And, um, and I think part of it was a sense of like, I have no control over what's happening. I don't have, you know, it's, I'm just kind of watching it and it's, it's frustrating. And, um, and, and I, and I remember I kind of felt like, in my spirit, I've I had this sense of like, is there really nothing that you can do? Um, mm. And, and I felt like God was kind of challenging me um, not to try to go to general conference and take the microphone, but, but that there are things that you've been doing because of your own calling and your particular vocation uh, that, that have equipped you to speak into the church in a particular way. And, and, and maybe it's time to sort of own that. And I, I just remember having this clarity that, you know, if, if over the next quadrennium, you could, you could write a book and publish it and, and it could be used to start a thousand class meetings. Mm. Um, just think about the difference wow. that that would make in people's lives. Like you, yeah. you, who knows what would happen in the church at, at, at large and so forth, but, but that you would be certain, like I just knew myself, I would be completely confident that the, you know, say 12,000 people or however many it would be, those people's lives would be different in a yeah. way that would be dangerous for the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, and and that felt, that felt kind of vulnerable and scary to kind of have that sense of like, you know, at one level in the, in the big picture, that's really a drop in the bucket. That's mm, true. But at another level, you know, as a, as a, a young author writing a book like that, you know, it's most books written for that kind of an audience don't, don't sell very well. They're usually seen <laughs> by publishers as, as risky and, and so forth. And, and the class meeting was actually rejected um, before it was, was eventually published with, with Seedbed. And, oh, you know, so there was kind of a, a reflection of that sort of sense that this, this book may not do very well. So I've been surprised just at how well it's done that I've, mm -hmm. I've sort of, it's, it's actually, and I, I think related to that, you know, it's sort of biographical, like it's really been an, an encouragement and a challenge at the same time to my faith that of just kind of trusting my relationship with God and, and, um, and it's just been a huge blessing to, to see is not, it's not about me, but it's been a blessing to see God use this old idea. It's not my mm -hmm. idea. I'm really right. just going to be faithful to the, to what happened in the past. And, 
um, to see the Lord use that to, to help people, you know, find deeper connection with one another has been just really, it's been really encouraging. Um, and it's, it's surprised me how, how many people really, like if you kind of give them a nudge, they, they really just want help figuring out how to find, you know, eight other people that'll meet with them. And, and that's, that's just been, it's been exciting, but there's also been a kind of sense of urgency of like, I don't feel equipped to actually help. I'm not a connector and, you know, through my job and my work. And so there's, there's at times been a kind of sense that the need is really is there. And um, I don't have the bandwidth to, to help folks find these connections. And so, you know, seeing folks on the ground in local churches kind of taking this and running with it and, and many of them adapting it and changing it in particular ways to suit their own context. And all that's just been, it's been wonderful to see. Yeah. And one of the things that, that seems to me you really press us to is, is being more relational. I know one of the things that I've, I've said in this podcast before is that oftentimes my experience has, has shown that people are relationally poor. And, and it seems to me you're bringing us back to a question in our roots is that's very relational, very relational with one another and, and for most intimately our relationship with God. And that central question, how are you doing in your relationship with God or, or how does your soul prosper? Yeah. Um, and it seems, you know, what you're pushing us to is, is away from our comfort zone. And our comfort zone is talking about uh, ideas, morality, uh, much more than our Christian experience. And you use a great image. You talk about buying shoes versus running in them. Mm. Uh, and I'll just let you expand upon that because I thought that was such a great image and our need for these closer relationships in small groups. So I'll just, I'll just let you respond to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, one of the things that I would love to do is run a marathon. I think running okay. a marathon would be amazing. I think it would feel so like such a feeling of accomplishment. Um, and I never have run a marathon. Um, I, 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 I do something that really can't accurately be described as running um, a couple of times a week, but I don't ever <laughs> run distances or jog distances that are um, anywhere close to, to marathon, you know, length. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, that, that was one of the things that hit me is you can buy runner's world. You can buy, you know, a good shirt and shorts and, and, you know, go to, go to a store, a running store and get your feet measured and run on the special treadmill and then they get shoes that are, perfectly suited for your own feet. Um, and if you bring all that stuff home and just look at it and admire it, you're not actually going to become a runner. The only way you can become a runner is by lacing up the shoes and getting outside and starting to run. And the first time you do it, it's going to be terrible. You know, it's going to be um, <laughs> embarrassing. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be fast. You're not going to be able to do it for very long. It's, you're going to be sore the next day. Um, and the day after. And, um, and the only way to, to run a marathon is by doing that you know, consistently over a period of time. And, and it's, it's even better if you do it with the wisdom and, and guidance of someone who has already run a marathon and can tell you how to not overtax your body. And, you know, that those kind of things help you find the sweet spot. Yeah. And I think in the same way, the, the search for community is, you know, there, I, I think there are a lot more people who are reading books about authenticity and community mm-hmm. um, than are, are people who are actually connecting and, and, and stretching themselves by risking kind of sharing parts of their own story with, with other people with skin on uh, and, and kind of entering in in that way. And, you know, I think that, that part of what's challenging is that we, we tend to be so overcommitted um, that we think of community as kind of the people we're around when we're doing certain things, but oftentimes the, 
it's not the kind of community that can be what we really need and are looking for because it's, it's the activity that's the reason we're together and there's not space within that activity to actually really share deeply. So it can kind of be an entry point into new relationships, hmm. but those relationships need space and intentional focus outside of the, the time that, you know, uh, for some reason I'm thinking about like kids sports activities because of the, okay. the phase of life that I'm in. And, you know, you're around the same people, you get to know names and you get to know a little bit about each other, but you're not gonna you're not gonna really do life together um, unless those relationships, you know, actually start to to have time together outside of the you know soccer game or outside of helping in a kid's class with other parents or you know whatever it looks like whatever it would be even worship you know even sitting in kind of the general same space in a church and getting to know people's names you need that you need time where you're actually right. together in the same space and just have room to say like hey so what's really going on in your faith what's really happening mm. in your life right now mm. that's really good i'm going to i'm going to try and channel my inner steve manscar here the one thing <laughs> i heard and what you were talking about the the shoe image is developing the right habits Mm. Right? And that's something Steve yeah. always is good about pressing yeah. on. We have to develop the right sort of habits to help us to grow. So can you say a little more about how the class meeting helps develop the proper habits? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, for me, the, the basic thing that I think about is that um, the Christian life is really about, you know, how you live. Mm what you do with your time and your energy and your resources. Um, and, and I think that, so habits are essential to that because habits are about what you do with, you know, your time, your energy and your resources, how you steward them and, and so forth. And um, I think that uh, the, the class meeting is, is helpful because it, I, I think about it oftentimes is it's kind of like helping you learn to speak the language of your soul, which is a different language. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that, I, I find that image to be very helpful for me personally, because I have always found, um, you know, going through a PhD program and stuff, you have to, to pass language exams and you don't have to, you don't have to be able to speak the language. You have to be able to read it and translate it. Um, but I, I grew up in Louisiana mostly and took French and I loved French, but I have always found speaking French to be extremely vulnerable. I'm very, I, I have always been, um, kind of unwilling to, to risk speaking what I know. Um, and, but that, but the time, so I went to, when I was in seminary, I did a cross-cultural immersion trip and, and went to Paris for a, a couple of weeks. And, mm. and I was forced to define that as, as a part, part, like one of the key things about that immersion trip was to be immersed in a language that was different than my own and a culture. And, and that, that forced me to get outside of it. And I found that as I did that, I gained the confidence that I know this. I knew I started to realize that I knew what I knew huh. before I doubted what I knew. Uh, and I think that, so the class meeting, one of the key habit pieces of that is, you know, developing the habit of trying to name where God is at work in your life, what God is yeah. doing in your life. Yeah. Um, even if that starts with naming the struggles and describing the, a sense of absence or a sense of frustration. Um, and that for me, and I think this is, this is a, a, a deep similarity between, you know, the, the different kind of ways that, that we come at this, that doing this helps you to develop a lens that you look at your life through. And so you start to look at your life through the lens of these habits that you form. Yeah. And so, so for me, the hope is that people will, will, 
sort of think, you know, maybe the first couple of weeks, they just don't feel very confident in the way they've answered the question. And they start to think, I really want to be able to say something that actually <laughs> does some justice yeah. to what I feel. Right. And so I kind of spend the week more looking at my life through the lens of how is it with my soul? How has God at work in my life? How am I doing really? What's going on? And then the next week I actually can say something about what's been happening that's more substantive than I did the week before. And that, that as we commit to that habit, we grow in it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that brings me to the next question. Really, it's, it's more of a quote uh, that, I'll let, that I'll get your response to. Because um, what I, you know, in hearing that illustration about learning to speak French, I mean, you've got to be willing to be vulnerable, right? You've got to mm. be willing to, to perhaps make some missteps, yeah. right? You've yeah. got to be willing exactly. to, make, to, to say something that makes you appear incompetent. And adults, mm. in general, just run from that. So yeah. uh, this comes from uh, the last chapter, the, the Keys to a Life-Changing Group. And you say this. A willingness to be vulnerable is also necessary for a successful group as a class meeting will only go so far as the members and the group are willing to let the spirit take them. Mm. But that was so well worded because that's such a key in any group is the willingness to be vulnerable. So say some more about that if you would. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, for me, a, a part of it is the way that you set it up, I think is really helpful of, of kind of, you know, vulnerability at some level is is a willingness to say you know on the one hand to make statements about how god has worked in in your life that you can't demonstrate kind mm -hmm. of empirically which is i think scary for people and difficult so to say yeah. god did this in my life and then and and sort of setting aside the fear that people are going to argue with that <laughs> or ask you how you know it was god and so forth and and there's a there's a time and a place for that um yeah. but i think that that that's that itself is vulnerable to say you know it's well with my soul because i just felt this amazing sense of god's presence on tuesday and uh, i just felt surrounded by god's love for me and and that just has changed my whole week you know saying something like that is is vulnerable because you can't you can't sort of you can't show a photo of it you know you can't um right. have somebody else touch it and um and i think that the other side of that too is that if you if you really start to enter into this kind of practice um you know, one of the sort of difficult things is there are going to be times where you need to say, it's not well with my soul. Right. And you need to be honest about things that are, are obstacles that, yep. and maybe you don't even understand them. Um, you know, one of the, one of the most powerful experiences for me being in a class meeting was when someone basically said to the group that they had really been struggling in their prayer life and they were frustrated because they had been spending time praying to God and, and crying out to God. And, um, and not not hearing anything, not feeling like they had a sense of communion or connection with God, and uh, and that was it was powerful, but it was also uncomfortable because mm. what we want to do, and I think what the church, what we you know what what we've often trained ourselves to do in the church, and church leaders have trained laity to do, is to fix problems and to have answers right. to questions. Right. And, um, something like that, you, you can't really fix it. You can just be present with the person and. Um, and, and hopefully really be interceding with them in prayer and, um, you know, and so forth for, for breakthrough and for a sense of, of real connection with the Lord. But having the space, I find oftentimes, simply having the space to make those kind of statements itself leads to deeper transformation. It's, it's not a guarantee. Yep. There's no formula, but, right. um, but having the space to, to be known 
um, even when the story that you have to tell isn't a story of victory, you know, and sort of conquering warrior, but it's, it's, it's much more humble and much more tender. Um, that that's, I think can be, can be really important. Yeah. Well, it's being willing to push past that uncomfortableness. Yeah. And, and we're not, we're not real good about that. And, and that, I think that leads to the next question. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me in reading the book the, the first time is um, as group. And I think this is one of the geniuses of the book is it's not just, here, learn about the class meeting. It's experience the class meeting as you're learning about it. And I thought that was, that was great. Uh, but one of the questions that set in for me was, all right, now that I've, I've learned this and I'm begin practicing this, so what, what next, right? What happens in that life cycle of, of any group where stagnation sets in? What would, you, yeah. what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, so first is brief background. I actually, so one of the things that happened for me was in, in writing Blueprint for Discipleship, the, the first book I wrote, mm-hmm. which I would change some stuff if I could rewrite it now. Oh, interesting. um, You know, but the, the, I thought the goal of that book was to say, look, the basics of what you need to know and do if you're a Methodist or a Wesleyan really aren't that complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, You can present it in a short book that the challenging part of being a Methodist or being a Wesleyan or really being a Christian is doing it. That's what's hard. Yeah. Um, And that, that I think a part, a big part of, approaches to discipleship in the church today are really telling lay people that the Christian life is really complicated and confusing and hard to understand. And we basically need to give me a lifetime of study to kind of start Mm. to wrap your mind around it. And I just don't think that's true. And I don't think that's helpful to laity. I think you can always engage your faith intellectually more. And I think you should, I think it's Mm -hmm. it's part of worship. Um, But I think that, that the, the challenging part is just like, you know, running a marathon, the challenge there isn't the information you need to do it. It's, it's the practice, right. Right? the walking it out or running it out. And um, anyway, and so I, I thought blueprint for discipleship would give people this information at that, and then it would, and then you could have kind of an altar call to start class meetings and boom, everything, you know, you'd have, you'd have revival. And uh, it was interesting that, that blueprint also, it did better than I think it was expected to do okay. and, it, and it's kind of maintained sales, which is, has been, I think, surprising uh, to, to some folks too. And it's been encouraging to me, um, but it hasn't. And as far as I, you know, seeing when it was used by churches and so forth, typically it's just been slotted in into a kind of Sunday school class or some other, it's a, it's usually mm-hmm. in the study realm. And so, Oh, we're going to learn a little bit about our Methodist heritage here. And then we'll, you know, we'll go on to the next, next book. Right. Uh, and so I, I was discouraged that it wasn't being used to actually start class meetings. So then wow. I thought, well, that was, t- I guess it was too subtle. I'll write a book <laughs> that's just about the class meeting and that says as many times as I can, as the publisher will let me, this book is a failure if you don't continue meeting as a class meeting afterwards mm-hmm. and, uh, and so forth. And also I think it helped, it humbled me to realize I didn't, I didn't provide what needed to be provided. There needs to be more scaffolding for actually, how do you do this? If there's, if there is zero culture of class meetings in your church, then how do you actually start them? You know, what do you, yeah. what do you give for folks who don't even have never even heard of a class meeting before, which is very common. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And so, so anyway, that was, that was the, the challenge to, that, that led to part of the kind of passion for writing this book. And I think the, the stagnation thing then is, um, you know, it is helpful because you feel like you, when you're reading the book, you feel like you're learning something and that feels productive itself. Mm-hmm. And then when the book is over, if you actually risk continuing meeting as a class meeting, you don't have the same sort of like 
achieving jolt that, okay, I read another chapter, I'm making progress and, and learning some things about my faith and so forth. Um, and it's, it's less, uh, you know, it's less scripted and defined. There aren't discussion questions um, mm. and so forth. The discussion question is just each person talking about the state of their soul. Uh, and so it is pretty common that people will get to a phase at first. That is, there's something I, I think about the fact that that's intimidating and it's a little bit mm. scary that is kind of energizing for some people. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but then after that kind of initial sort of adrenaline rush, that's probably too strong, but you know, something like sure. a kind of adrenaline rush after that wears off after a month or two, then there's this kind of like, is this it? Like, are we just going to kind of like stumble through talking it, trying to find a profound way of naming where God's at work in our life. And none of us really feel like we've said anything profound. We've just kind of said something. <laughs> um, and I actually think that's the place where, if you press through that sort of dip, um, that's where it can start to get really interesting because part of it is that we need to stumble through sort of the answers we think we're supposed to give to the question long enough mm -hmm. to get to the place where we actually give the answer we need to give to the question. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's um, and that's, and that's where things start to happen that get more interesting and where the group gets, gets, you know, drawn closer to each other. I joke a lot in my group that, it's a good week when somebody cries. Um, and, uh, and the funny thing is in, in my group that I'm in right now, somebody cries pretty much every week and oftentimes right. it's, it's multiple people. And I think it's just because we, we trust each other right. with our tears. Like we can actually, we can let go and be comfortable and confident enough that this is a safe space to share things. We don't have permission or feel trust enough to share really anywhere else in our lives. And so it, it plays that, uh, that, that really important role. Uh, you know, in, in the, the lives of the folks in our group. Yeah, that makes sense. My, my wife has teased me and said uh, that I have the spiritual gift of making other people cry. And, <laughs> and, and all I can think of is, you know, there, there is something about creating an environment where someone's willing to be vulnerable. And oftentimes, you know, tears are a response to that, right? That's, Absolutely. Absolutely. I've hit, I've hit something that I can't control and makes it really uncomfortable and yeah. oh, tears come out. Yeah, I've actually started to tell people not to apologize because I've exactly. noticed people always apologize and I try to sort of prepare people. If you cry, please know that that's actually a gift to us because yeah. it shows us that you're, you're trusting us and you're being vulnerable and we're honored by that. It's not, it's not something to apologize for. We're not offended. We're not, you know, freaked out. It's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. It's, it's life. Yeah. That's, that's good. And um, the, the other thing I wanted to say about the, the yeah. sort of, showing up piece and the kind of what if it seems stagnant and stale is um, that, you know, to me, the power of the class meeting in its deepest way is actually something that you can't plan, but I think it will, it's guaranteed to happen if you meet long enough. And that is um, that, that something will happen to someone in the group, some kind of crisis. Um, and you don't root for that to happen, obviously, but, but it, it, it happens because life happens and, and you can only receive comfort and support and that kind of, you know, from that kind of community, if you've been making deposits into it over a period yeah. of time. Um, and that's, that's the thing that is to me most, it's the hardest sometimes to get people to understand because you can't understand how precious of a gift it is until you experience it. Mm. But the paradox is you can't experience it unless you've been making deposits over a long period of time. And it's the same with the reward you get from crossing the finish line in a marathon. You can't get that without the hours and hours and hours of running before the race. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the same way, 
having people who surround you with love and care and who you can risk and be vulnerable enough to let them help you. That's one of the things that surprised me in our group. It's actually very hard culturally for middle-class Americans to receive help from other people. Yep. Um, but once you get vulnerable enough that you can receive that help, it's, it's such a blessing. It's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So that's part one of our interview with Kevin Watson. Um, and, and I, I always enjoy talking with Kevin. He's always uh, fun to talk with. And um, one of the things that I think Kevin does very well in this book, The Class Meeting, what, what I think it does for, especially for folks who are used to perhaps a Sunday school class or a Bible study, uh, this can be very different. And I think what it does well is it pushes people to engage uh, experientially, right? It's not just about learning more information. And that can be pretty uncomfortable, for folks, and I think he does a good job of helping folks um, today uh, begin to, to think about how are they experiencing God in, in the life they're leading in their families and homes. And I think uh, the class meeting can do can do a good job of that of those sorts of, of things. And I think that I, I really appreciate that. Um, and Steve, I know you've had some um, interaction with folks who've who've done the class meeting, and um, so I'll just let you say more from there. Well, I'll just. The, uh, add to what you just said is okay. that, and I think Kevin speaks to this in his comments that what the the class meeting that he presents in his book and that you know he's practiced himself is what John Wesley called Christian conference, mm -hmm. which is. Uh, and, and, and Wesley regarded Christian conference as a means of grace, mm. which means gathering together in a small group with other Christians to watch over one another in love is a means of grace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and it's, he, and the evident, you know, he points to is the passage in Matthew's gospel. I think it's in the 18th chapter where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, mm -hmm. there are, I am there among them. That the, you know, what being, you know, spending, being in the presence, meeting regularly with fellow Christians to answer the question, how is it with your soul? Mm -hmm. um, and that process of meeting together and then forming relationships centered in Christ and centered in our common love for Christ and our desire to follow him um, builds trust and love between one another. And that's, that is a means of grace. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that process of, of being vulnerable with one another and answering that question, how is it with your soul? is a very powerful means of grace that helps us to grow in our relationship with God. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's a, I, I applaud Kevin for the work that he's doing and sort of reintroducing um, in, in a way that I'm also, you know, we're both trying to do the same thing, going in about it slightly different ways mm -hmm. of reintroducing the class meeting that, which was the very heart I call it, I, you know, one way to, it, the class meeting was the engine of early Methodism. It's yeah. what drove it. Absolutely. It's what made it work. Um, and so I applaud Kevin for that work. And, it, and, it, it, and, and I've met a lot of, a number of people around the connection in my travels and in my work of, you know, doing workshops and covenant discipleship 
who come up to me and tell me that they're using this book and mm -hmm. they find it uh, valuable um, and it's helping them. Um, but there, that, and, uh, and partly, you know, it also opens them up to what uh, of covenant discipleship, right? And the general and the general rule of discipleship. They they see that as a helpful supplement, okay, to their experience of the class meeting. Okay. Well, good. Well, we, that, that's a, a good sort of part one of our episode with Kevin Watson. And so um, we look forward to, in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to release part two of our interview with Kevin Watson. Um, and so with that, we, we hope you're, you will interact with, with us and with Kevin. Uh, Kevin's on Twitter, at Kevin Watson. Um, I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Forum for adult formation. Steve, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at S Manskar, at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. And you can find more resources on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. You can also find our emails, and we will look forward to interacting with you. So please shoot us your comments, your questions, and suggestions for what would be helpful for your small groups. And we look forward to connecting in the future. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.